Welcome to the Fader interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, editorial director of the Fader. Alicia Keys' debut graphic novel, Girl on Fire, written with the comic book artist Brittany Williams and set for release in March 2022, tells the story of a 14-year-old girl who finds out that she has telekinetic powers after trying to protect her brother from a gun-wielding cop. Announcing the book this past summer, Keyes said she was, quote, writing it for that girl in the way back row who needed someone to tell her there's nothing you can't do, that nothing is impossible, end quote. And in some sense, that's Keyes' career in miniature. From the songs in A minor ballad A Woman's Worth, through Girl on Fire itself, and the 2020 Voter Drive single A Beautiful Noise with Brandy Carlisle, Keyes, as a songwriter, has always been looking out over her piano and towards the crowd. In fact, even when answering a question about her intent, Key sounds like she's trying to inspire her audience, saying that she'd purged the word try from her vocabulary before Kanye West encouraged her to double down. And whether or not she's writing primarily for herself or others, it's clear that empowerment ballads like Dead End Road from her new album Keys out today are written from first-hand experience. Having blown up in an industry that didn't have her or any of her peers' best interests at heart, she had to fight still has to fight with anxiety and doubt. Songs like Dead End Road are her ammo. In the second part of our Fader interview, the first was released yesterday, so go back and listen if you haven't already. Keys also discusses Lil Wayne's verse on the unlocked version of Nat King Cole, her collaboration with her eldest son Egypt on a new cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and her first ever interview, which she gave to the Fader back in 2001. Before we come back to Keys. I don't know if you remember, but you, I think you may have given your, one of your, I think it may have been your first ever feature interview to The Fader, and it was in 2000 and 2001. That's, I feel like that's probably right. Yeah, it was issue seven, I think. See, homecoming, that's what, that's what Keys is about, a homecoming. I, I really, really, really see that and feel that on every level, and this is an exact other moment for it. There's a really interesting moment in that interview. And this is obviously a few months before Songs in A Minor comes out. You say, say my album is released and I do sell 12 million records. It's like, what can you do after that? Can you sell another 12 million records? That's creating an even bigger hype that you must then surpass, uh, which is kind of crazy because as far as I know, Songs in A Minor sells almost exactly 12 million records, I think, worldwide. That's a little coincidence, but I think it's also the snapshot of a young artist with the world in front of her and all this potential for like joy and misery. And you, you obviously end up with a lot of both. Did, did you end up feeling after that and, and throughout those earlier years, did you end up feeling that you did have to create and surpass this bigger hype? And if so, how have you managed to get off that train lately in order to create an album like Keys where you feel a lot more at ease with yourself? Wow. What an amazing, amazing question. That's crazy that I said, what if I... Um, first of all, I definitely never expected to, you know, be out the gate with that level of commercial success. You know what I mean? And, and, and critical success. Nobody knows that and nobody ever imagines that. I mean, I'm sure there were people that at that time were, were working very hard to ensure that it would go that way. You know, I realize that now there's also a lot of that in the mix, but I was definitely unaware of whatever would happen. And I think in a way, it was like kind of our your favorite ignorance is bliss type of vibe. Because <laughs> the thing is, is I, I just I just didn't know. 
I, I truly didn't. I didn't. And even if it did sell however many records, at that moment I said that, I did not know what that would be like or feel like. You know what I mean? I could hypothesize what I thought it might to, to, to my point of like, what do you, how are you going to follow up after that? But I didn't know what that would be like. And so I think in a lot of ways, there was an ignorance there that just kept me driven. You know, it just kept me driven. It just kept me hungry and excited and just wanting to create, you know, especially always being my own producer, always being my own writer. I always had to fight to be who I am because people never believed me. They never believed I was a producer. They thought I was just a little girl from Harlem, from Hell's Kitchen. You know, to this day, I go in a room, I'm making those records. I am producing those records. I'm dropping the beat on those records. I'm putting the music on the records. I'm playing the moog on the records. I'm making, I'm doing all the vocal arrangements. And if there's one guy standing in the room, and the person walks in, they'll be like, oh, so you produced the record to that guy. It's just like, it's just like how it is, you know what I mean? But I think that in regards to keeping up with every entertainment industry, and maybe, maybe it's every industry if you think about it, but particularly the entertainment world, is always about like the last thing you did. And it's always about kind of these numbers. And I think about this a lot because I think maybe it's the way the world is set up a little bit. You know, like if you think about grades for kids, they're forever chasing an A, you know? And if they get a C, they're made to feel like they didn't do good enough. But maybe the C was their best, you know what I mean? And so therefore, maybe the C was a triumph because last time they didn't even take the class or last time they didn't even try or they they got some they got some so there's this like numbers hierarchy thing that everybody's always trying to obtain and it's fucking exhausting it's like nobody's ever telling you how about you try to be yourself how about you just try your best and if you actually did your best you won. And so I think that there's unfortunately a lot of incorrect information that's taught to us from the day that we're born. And we do think we're supposed to sell 12 million records or we won't be relevant or we feel like we're supposed to, you know, get five rings or we didn't whatever, or we're supposed to get all A's or we can't get into any college that's going to get you a good job or whatever these things are, it's like it's like torture. I have to say, I'm definitely grateful because things have happened that I never expected to happen. And, and that's why a lot of times I said, I spend, I spend time looking at the past like in awe, like, shit, how did that happen? How did that even go like that? Like, what made that align that way. But I also definitely have recognized that you can't compare yourself. You can't even compare yourself to your yesterday. You can't chase these kind of super fake accolades. You can't chase these fake accolades. You can't chase these fake numbers, these fake grades, whatever these things are that People somehow feel less than be if they haven't superseded some record-breaking fucking thing. <laughs> it's too much pressure. It's not real. And I don't think that you'll actually find your greatness doing that. You're, you're, you're going to change. You're going to switch who you are. 
You're going to become a, a you know a carbon copy. You're going to you're going to copy everybody else because you you're trying to do whatever they're doing. You're going to be too afraid to to take the leap to skydive. You're going to be too afraid to actually do something that people won't like, which I personally feel likely have created the best things in the world. Something that someone said wasn't going to happen. So you you I just feel like I've learned that you have to have a healthy dose of bravery and you also have to have a healthy dose of balance. Because of course, you have to be able to see things from a few sides, but most important, you have to just make sure that you're listening to you because man, you're going to get lost and you're going to be sad and, and, and it's hard to feel fulfilled if you can't hear yourself. One song that sort of tackles some of those ideas is one of my favorites on the record, which is Dead End Road. At least we'll try, try, try to make it. When you're living right, but it's going wrong, we try, try, try to make it. When you feel like you're living on dead end road, we still. I think it's one of your most impressive vocal performances of, of your career. And it's also just a really graceful song. It hits some of these themes that I think you've tapped throughout your career. You've talked before about the importance of other people, particularly young people, finding strength and empowerment in your music. When you write a song like Dead End Road, are you writing with your audience in mind or are you writing it to yourself first and foremost? Most of the time I'm writing to myself because I'm reminding myself of something that I really need to hear. Like if it was a superwoman, it's not because I felt like a superwoman, it's because I didn't feel like a superwoman. If it was a girl on fire, it was not because I felt so strong and so powerful, it's because I was thinking of all these women in my life, including myself, that you know sacrifice so much and I feel like the world is taking them down. And, and at some point it's like, Fuck it, we're on fire, you know what I mean? And when it's like a dead end road, it's like, it's because there's so many times when you just feel like hopeless. Like, is it gonna actually come together? Is it actually gonna work? Or am I gonna be stuck in this like same thing that kind of keeps finding its way to me? So when you feel like you're living on dead end road, we still try. Like that idea of like trying, that idea of still going. I was actually speaking to Kanye the other day and he said, I don't know if I like that word try. I don't, I don't know if I like it in a song. He loves this, he loves Dead End Road. And and I was like, hmm. So I just I just feel like when you if you try and you're not deciding to like change it, to do it, to actually be it. You can't try, you know what I mean? You gotta do it. And oh, and maybe the and maybe the try of it, you know, is actually seeming like there's an option. It was so deep, kind of how that landed on him. And I understood what he meant because I actually don't use the word try. So it was so interesting that he brought that up because he kind of called me out on some shit that I actually feel. Like, I won't say I'm going to try to um, go write a song today. That's not, the, that's not the words I use. I say, I'm going to write a song today. I don't say I'm going to try to like have a good performance. 
I'm saying I am going to have a good performance today. And I've learned that when you use that word that strongly, it makes you have that type of outcome. So when you say, I'm going to try to um, do good on this test. So I felt him. I really, really, really felt him. And it it was deep to me because I was like, shit, how did he call me out on something that I actually already believe in? Um, But in this case of trying, it's like this idea of the fortitude to continue. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the reminder that I needed to give myself and the reminder that I do want the people that I listen to to feel. But again, it's not because I, it's, it's because I needed it. I needed that reminder to keep going, to keep finding, to keep trying, to keep having the determination to like bust through that dead end row wall. So yeah, but I love that song, man. And thank you for acknowledging the vocal performance too. It was just one of those that was so spirited and so genuine and and a song hits in that part of the voice that almost is like cracking. And I love, I love that song. You know, a lot of the things that you brought up there seem to be running through your upcoming graphic novel, uh, which also called Girl on Fire. I believe that a lot of the inspiration for that project came from reading along with with Egypt and Genesis, right? Definitely. I, you know, the Girl on Fire um, graphic novel, which is so sick. I'm so excited about it. Like, first of all, it's been years, eight years plus, you know what I mean, to put things together. Again, back to, back to, it takes work, you know what I mean? You can't, it don't just like come down from the sky and everything's just so perfect. No, it takes so much work and it takes so much time to bring to life, you know, the things that you're trying to bring to life. So I, I say that because I just want people to be encouraged that even when it takes a long time, it's it's totally possible. You know what I mean? It, it, it happens. So that's what I remind myself as well. And Girl on Fire is about this, this girl from Brooklyn named Lolo. She's really just recognizing that she literally has a superpower and she's freaked out about it. Like she's freaked out. She doesn't know what to do about it. She can't believe it just happened. She like hurt somebody for real because she was so upset at what happened and she's just like, was able to have the power to like, she didn't kill that person, but it was close. And so that was like shocking to her. And so anyway, we follow her story and we follow how she's coming to terms with kind of harnessing this power and what does it mean and how brave she has to be in order to do it and who she's gonna have to actually defeat and how what she's gonna have to sacrifice. And it's deep, it's so, so deep and it's definitely a metaphor, I feel to, you know, that that within us, you know, we, we all have these personal powers that um, are inside of us, but we don't know what to do with it, or we don't even recognize it's there, or we don't know how to harness it, or we don't know how to use it, you know what I mean? And so it's definitely that kind of, that, that kind of story. It's amazing. It's a graphic novel, and for sure, Egypt loves graphic novels, and I think it's such a, I think it's such a beautiful way in for people to have the reading experience because not everybody loves the super traditional book that, you know, kind of has chapters on chapters on chapters. And and some people are so, so visual and it really just allows you to come in not only from an art perspective, but also from, you know, a, a, a story perspective. So I really love the graphic novels. They're, they're so cool. Um, and I'm excited about this one. This one is good. Are there any of the ones that you were reading with Egypt that 
you loved and wanted to take with you into this project? He reads crazy ass books. <laughs> <laughs> he like he likes like those wild ones that are like super. He, the one he likes that's good is called The New Kid. That's a good one. He likes you know like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, like those ones that are like super crazy. He likes the other one about he likes the craziest. So his are a little bit over in that level, and I definitely wanted to bring. Like a little more, it's definitely more of a mature perspective and aspect. This is for, for young adults, but he could completely read this one completely. There was one that that they did on Basquiat that's crazy. A graphic novel they did on Basquiat that was nuts. There's one called um, Akisi, and it's actually about these two African brothers and their experience. Like it's it's ill. So that's another really good one. There's so many good ones. There really are. Back to keys. You know, but one thing we haven't addressed is huge, which is that this is an album in, in two parts with unlocked referencing originals and uh, this really interesting relationship between these two sides. From a creative standpoint, we talked a lot about trust and vulnerability and opening up to your audience, but there's also a lot of, must be a lot of faith involved in basically taking your masters and sitting down with somebody and saying, right, let's change it. Let's do it in a completely different way. What was it about Mike Will that gives you that faith, gave you that faith initially to say like, yeah, he's, he's going to be able to do this. We have this connection. We're going to do it. So first of all, let me clarify so everybody understands. Keys is what I'm calling a double album for sure. And so the first half of the album is called The Originals. And this, these original songs are the first songs that I created for the project. And the originals are all about exactly what we talked about, the, the singer-songwriter, the piano at the forefront, the pen, the crafting, the music, you know, the bluesy, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the hard New York original AK that really had and has all that energy that I think people really want from me. It has that zone, but that's just because it's a homecoming and I've actually finally realized that I've always been who I am supposed to be and I'm great exactly where I've where I started, you know, and so that's the energy of the originals. Then I decided because I'm a New Yorker and you know New Yorkers love to sample some shit, I decided that I wanted to sample the originals album and create a whole other body of work called Unlocked. So when you get keys, you're gonna get these two bodies that actually live completely separately, but you can you can reference how there's an old memories on the originals, there's an old memories on Unlocked. There's a dead end road on the originals, there's a dead end road on the Unlocked. There's a de- there's a Is It Insane, which is another record that's like, ay, ay, ay. And there's an Is It Insane on Unlocked. So um, you're gonna be able to experience these two sides of who I am as an artist, because I feel like I have an unlocked side of me, and I think that's a little bit maybe of what y'all are starting to get to know me about, and I have the original side of me, and so you definitely are going to hear them both musically. I was really excited to create that because I am so multidimensional, we all are, and I don't even feel comfortable just living in one space. It it, it will never fully define exactly who I am. It's going to be a large part of it but it's never going to be fully create the full spectrum. So when we started to kind of brainstorm, like who would be cool to collab with to take these original records, sample them and bring them to this unlocked world? There was a few, there was a, a few on the list, some good ones that I think now are probably like, why you ain't make sure I was there, Alicia? Can you tell me who they were? 
I think we considered, I like, I think all of them are fresh. We thought about Hit Boy. We thought about Elangelo, who I think is, that's my guy. He's super, super incredible. Um, there might have been one other one that I'm missing, and then Mike Will came up too. And so it was good. It was just kind of timing and energy. And Mike Will, uh, I got on the phone with him, and I hadn't even, I actually didn't know Mike Will. My husband knows Mike Will, and obviously I know Mike Will, but I didn't like know him personally. And so I got on the phone and I was a little nervous. I was like, all right, I mean, I'm going to jump on the phone and we'll see how the vibe goes. But I don't know. Like, the Is It Insane record is like an Ella Fitzgerald record. I don't know if Mike Will is going to fully understand what I'm coming at him with. But let's see. So we get on the phone. And when I tell you, he was like immediately bursting with ideas. Immediately. He, he was in the room and he was like, yo, this song... It makes me feel like this. What if we made it and I kind of I could we could take it and do? It. And he was immediately spitballing like what could happen or what could what what it could do. And his enthusiasm was so endearing because you know you meet a lot of people and a lot of people do a lot of music and they up to a lot of shit and and sometimes music becomes second to people. You know what I mean? People who have started in music, it kind of becomes. Like, you know, you've done it and you did it and like how much more new excitement can you feel? And a lot of sometimes I get that from people. He though, he was charged, supercharged. And he was like, I can come to New York tomorrow. When you want to start? He was just like ready. He gave me this energy that I was like, okay, all right, Mike, let's see what's let's see what's up. So we actually ended up meeting in New York and um and immediately we did Is It Insane? We did Is It Insane first. Is it couldn't believe it. And it had this, isn't it insane for those who haven't heard the record yet, but I know you're about to go stream it and download it right now. It's like this really, really jazzy, smoky, like, you know, you could hear Billie Holiday, you could hear Miles Davis, you can hear Coltrane, you can hear Ella. Like this song is one of my most proud moments as a songwriter and as an artist, this song. And so you could feel nervous that one would take this very classic record and 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 maybe it would dilute it in some way. But what we did to Is It Insane, we took all that jazz and it was almost like Ella Fitzgerald meets Portishead or some shit. And when it happened, I was going crazy. I was in the studio losing my mind. And at that moment, I knew that we were going to do some shit. I was like, you know what? This is going to be something crazy. And ever since then, literally, it's literally been just crazy, interesting perspectives of these very classic original songs that I personally feel shock people. Because when they hear the originals, they're very, very much, they love it. You know, it's, it feels really good. And then when you hear Unlocked, I think you're really shocked how much you you love it more than you 
you, you don't expect that you can love it more and you actually do. So I think that, I think it's amazing. So that was kind of the creative concept and that was how it came together. And it was so organic that it just, it really worked out because there was an enthusiasm and a love there that was real. You know, speaking of those sort of smoky songs, I listened to the originals first and, and then flipped over to Unlocked. And uh, I knew that there was a version of Nat King Cole with Lil Wayne. I just didn't know. Like, I haven't listened to the original a couple of times. I was like, I'm not sure how how this is going to go. But it does. I mean, it works really well. How how did you, did you like talk to Lil Wayne in advance about his verse? Like, what are the conversations you have with a collaborator on a track like that? First of all, Nat King Cole is also one of my favorite records. I just love it so much. It really has this... Uh, mysterious, dark, hard as hell. That beat drops on the unlocked version of Nat King Cole and I don't care who you are, your mouth is gonna get screwed up. You just, you feel something, it just feels some type of way. With that record, we actually created the unlocked version first. There's a few records, maybe two, maybe three max, I feel like it's more like two, that we created the unlocked version and then I came back around for the original. So we created the unlocked version together. That was a record we actually did from scratch together. And so we had that whole vibe and the strings go crazy and the beat drops ridiculous. And then they, there's a little bit of like almost that, um, that very tremolo guitar and then the piano that feels like a sample dark type of vibe. So all that was done on the spot. And then there wasn't, the, the Wayne verse didn't exist. And then I went away and I did the originals, which is a, a super vibe too. And then Mike hit me and he was like, Wayne wants to be on that King Cole. And I was like, seriously? He was like, yeah, he was like going crazy when he heard it. And I was like, okay. And so he's like, I'm gonna send it to him, you good? And I was like, send it. So I didn't talk to him. I didn't give him no direction, nothing. But when that verse came back, I remember it clear as day. The verse came back, it was like, 5 a.m. I was on my way to a flight and Mike hit me, wake up, AK, AK. I said, what the hell are you doing up? It's late as hell. AK, wake up. This Wayne verse is in. I'm sending it to you. I was like, okay. I played it because it comes right from the top. Boom, he's right in. So unforgettable, more than incredible, more than a metaphor, more than you ready for, more intellectual, more than electrical, glowing like Edison. I'm more than ahead of them. I'm over the head of them, more than a spectacle. I could do more than a weapon could. Cause I'm loaded but deadly, yeah, I'm undeniable. I'm unbelievable. I'm undefeatable, I'm pretty powerful. I'm so high, I'm unreachable. I'm not impeachable, I promise. They never forgive me like Obama. They never forgive me like Alzheimer's. In memory lane, they all drivers. The regular Wayne, all timer. And I'd rather you forgive me than remember me wrong. Cool as that King Cole, call me that King Kong. I fuck with Wayne. Wayne is a special guy, like for real. And I know that, but sometimes I think we got to remember how special people are because people are so fresh and so fresh for so long that we take them for granted. And we need to not do that because it's really important to recognize people's power and like how important they are and how hard it is to be fresh consecutively, consistently. And that's Wayne. And when I heard that verse, I threw the phone down. I was like, what? Y'all got to hear this verse. I'm telling you, he went in. He went in and he brought in the Nat King Cole reference, which is so fresh because, you know, Nat King Cole is a classic artist 
But this, a lot of people might not know him. You know what I mean? You know, my kids, I have to explain to them who Nat King Cole is. They don't know. How would they know? You know what I mean? So it's really fire to kind of just pay homage to uh, to the greats, to be a great, and to also just like really, really connect and create this moment. And Nat King Cole specifically is about taking off your pretense and being everything that you're supposed to be and everything that you were born to be. And so that was a zone. There is one collaboration that really stands out from 2021, and that's your version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow with Egypt, which I'm sure is really special for you and sounds really beautiful. Someday wish upon a star Wake up where the clouds are far behind Me Where troubles melt like lemon drops High above the chimney top that's where know how moving it was to perform on stage with Egypt and now to have him on a record must feel amazing. I was wondering, you know, with both of your kids, but Egypt is obviously like being older and is really clearly a really talented kid. There's a, there's obviously a chance that he's going to want to follow your path and, and his father's path as well. If he came to you and said that he did want to do that, that, you know, all right, mom, I'm ready. Like, I want to do this. No! That would be your advice. Just get out, <laughs> run for the hills. <laughs> no, Santa! <laughs> no, 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 no. Honestly, honestly, I, I, you know, I really do. He is a really musical kid, and he's been like that since as long as I can remember. We were on tour and he was two years old and he would just jump on the, the drum set and he would just be able to pick up the flow of what he was hearing and, and all these things. He started piano at four. I went to, he actually played with my piano teacher. And when I approached her, I said, you know, he really loves playing. He plays all the time. How old is he? Alicia, he's four. I don't know if I could teach a four-year-old boy. That's like going to be He's like, just bring him to me and let me let me just spend some time with him. And she started teaching him at four. You know what I mean? So, again, it's all a testament to his vibe and his energy. When we were, you know, over the pandemic, he kind of did his first couple of talent shows. He had to do them on Zoom. And he and he would do, I remember he did a Bruno Mars song. He played it. He did another one where he did um, the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams. He played it and sang it. He killed it. I was like, that shit is crazy, Egypt. You need to keep going. All the times that he's playing on piano or composing I trust me I'm there with my phone recording like I'm gonna make this a record <laughs> I always <laughs> want to steal his chords he definitely has amazing ear and and he has a great voice too and and so to put together this somewhere over the rainbow which is a song that you know we've sang together since he was a baby and like one of you know the songs to go to sleep to and stuff like that it was really, really special. But I think the thing that was the most special was like hearing him on 
a microphone and on a song and being able to hear the like tone in his voice and the rasp in there and him figuring out, wait, do I sing it like this? Or that's too high for me. Let me come lower. And the process of it and then being able to listen back to it and hear our boy like today. Like this is him today. When he's 13, he's going to sound different. When he's 12, he's going to sound different. When he's 16, he's going to be totally different. But today, this is, you know, this is what he sounds like. And and he did it with like, with bravery and and he loves it, you know? So I'm super proud of him. I love the song. The song is such his own. You definitely got to hear it. And I think that if he was like wanting to do that, which I got to say, a lot of our kids are super musical. You know, our, our oldest, No Marcado, he's out here killing it. He has his own vibe, his own style. He produces his music. He's he's writing these songs that are like so unique and interesting. Our middle son is like, he's he can play guitar. He writes, he's writes, he writes songs like his dad. Like he writes hooks like in his sleep. He come back and he'll be like, oh, I wrote this. And it's literally a smash. I'm like, what? How did you write a hook like that? So Egypt is, you know, following in this type of energy and that type of flow that's in the house. He's very classic, though. He's a classic kid. Like, he's going to choose an Elton John song. He's going to choose a Donny Hathaway song. He's going to choose a Whitney Houston song. And he knows a song. He can call it. Like, if I play something in the car and it's kind of a... He's like, that one. I love that song. He calls, like, really classic records. If he loves it, he loves it. You know what I mean? The only thing I just want to teach him is just the same thing I want to teach him with life. It's just like, be around people who deserve you. And, you know, make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that actually listen to you and also have great advice for you and are not trying to, you know, lead you down some wild path and, and you know, be strong enough to stand up for yourself because that's that's the thing. He's a lot like me. He's a lover, man. He wants everybody to be happy. He wants everybody to be good. And I'm like, Egypt, that's good. And and we're we're all about that. We want everybody to be good, but not to your expense. You know what I mean? You you have to be good. Then we can make sure that they're also good too. So he's I gotta I always sometimes he reminds me so much of myself it does make me a little bit nervous because I'm like no no, don't bend, don't do it. Meanwhile, Genesis, no way. Mm-mm, that's the boss. He not bending for nobody. So I'm really, I'm glad for Genesis. Genesis got it together. Um, but Egypt, I think he's going to really bring some awesome things to the world. And I, I do think that he's going to have a musical journey to some capacity. But whatever that is, you know what I mean? We definitely going to support him. And it's not, it's no pressure and it's no stress. It's just, you know, you got to follow your heart. That's a really beautiful place to end. Uh, Alicia, thank you so, so much for making time to talk to me. That that was a really, really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you. This might be my favorite interview ever. So just FYI, I loved it. Thank you so much. That's uh, really, really wonderful to hear. And congratulations again on the album. Um, I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. I, I hope you are too. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Look forward to seeing you soon and take care. Likewise. Thanks, Alicia. That was Alicia Keys talking to The Fader. Her new album, Keys, is out today via RCA. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. 
goodbye until then.